What's going on, y'all? Thank you so much for tuning in on another Monday. I really, really hope you all enjoyed last week's interview uh, with Annoyed. Uh, he is a national recording artist uh, right here from Bloomfield, Connecticut, doing some really big things. Uh, and I really hope you enjoyed uh, our time with him. As always, we thank you for joining Inside the Room with myself, State Representative Brandon McGee, where we discuss politics, leadership, and culture, and I always say a little bit of gossip. Uh, but today, inside the room, I would like to draw your attention to the importance of Mental Health Awareness Month. We know um, that the coronavirus pandemic, <clears throat> for the most part, disproportionately impacted uh, communities of color and death rates among Black, Latinx, or Latinos and Native American populations uh, in the U.S. are two to five times higher among white populations. And we also know while this disproportionate uh, physical health toll has been well documented, we have limited data on the mental health toll uh, of, the, of the coronavirus pandemic. On one hand, COVID has been seen by many as an equal opportunity pathogen, ravaging communities, taking lives, and causing financial and emotional distress for people of all backgrounds across the world. However, in the United States, due to legal, social, and economic uh, inequities across society, as well as disparities in physical health and access to good medical care, Black communities have been disproportionately impacted by both economic losses and deaths from COVID-19 directly. The intergenerational trauma and systemic racism that Black Americans have faced within the past 400 years, yeah, I said it, 400, 400 years have uh, fomented conditions that led to vulnerability within the historical uh, resilient community. This, this pandemic is consistent with the old saying, and I, this is the first time I actually heard this, uh, but the old say, saying, and, and I quote, when white folks catch a cold, black folks get pneumonia, end quote. The economic downturn and staggering job losses due to the pandemic have resulted in loss of health insurance, financial instability, food security, lack of housing among those lacking the safety net and family resources. We also know that the median net worth of white families, which is like more than $170,000, is nearly 10 times higher than black families, less than 20,000. And black households have been hit harder by downturns, whether it's 2008 or currently. We also know that these stresses and losses increase the risks of depression, anxiety, substance use, suicide, as well as poor physical health. I can probably talk on and on and on uh, around the impacts of this devastating pandemic. But guess what, y'all? As always, I bring in some really, really great people uh, who happen to serve as experts on uh, the particular topics that we're talking about, and in this case, mental health. So with us here today is Dr. Wisdom Powell to help us unpack some of the, the con contributors, excuse me, triggers that lead 
to mental health and ways to identify and manage it. Manage it. Uh, Dr. Powell is the director of the Health Disparities Institute and associate professor of the psychiatric at UConn Health, of psychiatric, excuse me, at UConn Health. Her community-based research focuses on the role of modern racism and gender norms on African-American male health outcomes and healthcare inequities. She has a long resume, y'all, serving on all kinds of boards. Uh, she was a part of former President Obama's administration as a fellow helping there. And she's doing some amazing work. And might I add, she also uh, was at UNC, I believe, Chapel Hill and doing some work down there. So my wife is from North Carolina. But anyway, we'll we'll jump in. So y'all help me join uh, Dr. Wisdom Powell inside the room today to unpack mental health and its impact on Black communities, in particular, Black men. Dr. Powell, welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Representative McGee. It is a blessing, as always, to be in any space uh, that you're in, and especially to be with this audience to discuss such an important and critical issue, such as mental health um, in the Black community and in communities of color. Thank you so much. So let's just jump right on in. I mean, most folks are saying, look, we're on the tail end of a pandemic. And I always kind of, I put my mask on <laughs> when people start talking like that because we're not on the tail end. We're still in the thick of it. We're still bearing the brunt of this, this, this very nasty system that really has not lent itself to equity. Um, and when you begin talking about mental health, and we celebrate during this month and provide awareness. Talk to us a little bit about your work and how you sort of ended up where you are with an emphasis on young men of color, black men in particular. So I appreciate this question so much because it's often that we don't get to tell our origin stories and yet they're so important to understand, to know one, what motivates people to enter this space and what's really at the root of their passion uh, for for the work around mental health. So, you know, I um, am an accidental, you know, academician. I tell people that all the time. I am a community activist and organizer at heart. Um, and more importantly, someone who believes in the power of story and narrative to shift um, both uh, people's perceptions, but also to bridge empathy gaps, deep abiding empathy gaps, in fact, that we see often um, among communities of color and other minoritized populations. So I come to this work as a storyteller, as a healer, as a radical healer, but also by way of my own history and experience. So, you know, my maternal grandfather, uh, Eddie Powell, was a patriarch of our family um, and a single father uh, at a time in our history, certainly when single black fathers were like unicorns. Uh, um, and certainly stand up black fathers were even more um, of, uh, of, of, of a unicorn than, than others. But my grandfather was an interesting and yet amazingly beautiful man, um, both in his commitment to the family, but in his, you know, his desire to keep everyone together. So despite how difficult it was for him, he was determined that his children would be together. 
But my grandfather also had the unfortunate experience of having to leave Alabama in the middle of the night, like many black men in search of the warmth of other sons, right? Like he had to flee because he was going to be killed, um, most certainly killed. Um, and in so doing, had to sever all of the ties with our family um, in Alabama. And to this day, that portion of the tree, that branch of the tree is severed. We are still trying to put together that history and to connect with our with our kinfolk. So um, did he, so he had to leave because of what? I'm sorry, I missed that yeah, piece. I, you didn't miss it because I didn't share it. You're, so thank you for asking the question. Um, he had to leave because he had offended a white man. Mm. And you know, the, the, the range of that offense um, is still somewhat folklorish in my family. Some people say that he fought the white man. Some say that he just slighted him in some way that any black man or woman could at that time, perhaps stare too hard or didn't move off the sidewalk, whatever it was. He and this white man got into some sort of misunderstanding. And it was very clear from the end of that conversation that if he were home at sundown, um, when the Klan were gonna ride on the home of my grandmother, then he would be killed. And so like many other families who had to sneak their folks out, like in coffins and all kinds of stuff to get people out of those dangerous situations, my grandfather had to leave. And I don't think he ever recovered from that loss of family, that connection, because my grandfather went on, of course, to raise us and to do his, his children and to look after us for the time I had him in my life. Um, but he also ended up perishing prematurely from a cancer that we could have prevented, that was all rooted in unspoken pain and trauma. Wow. And so, you know, it became clear to me from that experience that when men perish, before they have had a chance to reach their potential. It's not just them that suffer. It's the generations of women and children who are left in the aftermath. Mm -hmm. So I never saw my focus on black men's health as not being connected to my own destiny, my own liberation, my own well-being, because I, I bore witness to what a family suffers in the aftermath when men perish. And let me tell you, generations later, we're still reeling from the aftershocks. And so I've been committed, you know, my whole life without even really understanding the full range of the connection to my past, to making sure that we create opportunities for men and boys to heal, grow and thrive. Now, as I become older, a little bit wiser, a little bit fewer, you know, more gray hairs, I've become more um, aware of that connection and how divinely my path has been ordered towards this work. Wow. Wow, that's amazing. I, every time I hear you, whether I'm attending a meeting and I'm just there or facilitating, I kind of zone in and I forget, Brandon, you got to facilitate the, because you you bring us there. And, and I'm sure those folks who are listening are probably like scratching their heads like, oh my God, Dr. Powell, that that's my story as well. Um, but being able to provide some context and explain to us the impacts of that when men perish that's the name of your next book your next book um yeah, that's just for the title thank you 
Um, so again, if, if you all are just tuning in, uh, thank you so much. We're inside the room uh, with myself, Brandon McGee, our special guest, Dr. Wisdom Powell, uh, Director of the Health Disparities Institute and Associate uh, Pro Professor uh, there at UConn Health. Uh, she's also president of the American Psychological Association, Division 51 Men and Masculinities, and is an honorary professor uh, there at the University of, I'm going to try this, Kawala Zulu? KwaZulu Natal. Natal uh, in Durban, South Africa. Uh, and as I mentioned early on at the start of this uh, segment, in 2011 and 12, she was appointed by President Obama to serve as the White House Fellow to Secretary of Defense uh, Panetta. Uh, and in that role, she provided subject matter expertise on military mental health, for example, PTSD, suicide, and military sexual trauma. So before we close out on this first segment, I, I, I just want to... Um, push a little further on this idea of men perishing and can you can you unpack that a little more uh, but bring us up to where we are currently and the impacts of men perishing um and i'm not talking about the father leaving the baby mama i'm i, I ain't even I, I, we're not talking about that i i really trying to provide more awareness around mental health and the impacts uh this has or have on generations of young men. Um, Absolutely. Oh yeah. So feel free to kind of dive in and, and take us to where we need to go. Yeah. No. And I appreciate that framing because I think that the connection I want to draw from the first comments I was sharing about my grandfather is that for a long time, uh, Brandon, I would talk about my grandfather perishing from a preventable cancer, and I would end it there. But I wouldn't talk about that, about that the cancer I'm talking about is cirrhosis of the liver. And that the preventable part was that he had obviously some unresolved mental health and emotional wounds that he was nursing. And the challenge is that for men and boys in our nation is that they're often told that they should soldier on, that they should be able to take stress. Don't cry, you should be all right, men don't cry. Right walk it off come on you know i mean that kind of uh socialization a message or a set of messages actually set up a perfect storm for men and boys to deny bodily pain signs and symptoms and like my grandfather many men and boys feel like they have to be strong stoic and silent it, even in the face of what would be to anyone an unimaginable amount of pressure Right, the pressure and pain of Jim Crow, the pressure and pain of like the civil rights movement and the loss of our icons, all of that lived in the, as a reservoir of grief within my grandfather's spirit. And I trust and believe that many, many black men in particular are walking around with the same set of wounds. Mm -hmm. And the challenge is that we know from data that men are less likely to seek help for health problems more likely to watch and wait for signs and symptoms, and less likely to report upon diagnostic screening, depression or depressive symptomatology. And yet we know that the paradox in all of this is that men and boys perish at a higher rate from suicide. So either we're not counting the right 
catalyst, like that depression isn't the catalyst for suicide, or there are many men who are crying in the dark. And that's a problem for me because it says to me, not that men and boys need to be fixed, but our society. When are we gonna set up a system or a structure where men and boys are allowed to de-armor, right? When, when they're not socially sanctioned and punished for displaying emotion. When their vulnerability is treated, emotional vulnerability is treated as a strength and not a weakness. Mm -hmm. And this is not just on the onus of men. So let me give you an example of how women can be complicit in sustaining these myths around men's behaviors. So I'm in the movie theater, I'm watching Hustle and Flow. We all watched that movie, I loved it. Like, listen, I know every song, I won't sing it on this show because it's PC, I'm sure. But, but, but I love the movie, right? And I love it for a lot of reasons. The depth and range of the of DJ and his character, this, this, uh, this supposed like street guy who's like, also emotional and, and cries and, and displays himself in all these fat, multifaceted ways. It's so beautiful because that's the humanity of mm -hmm. black men, right? Like that range and depth. I just loved bearing witness to that. But I was sitting in the movie theater. And so the first time that DJ cries, there are two young women who could have been probably around 18 or so sitting in front of me. First time he started crying, they're shuffling in their seats. You can tell that by their body language. Like, why is he crying? They're uncomfortable with him crying. Mm -hmm. Second time they're like shoving, like, you know, jabbing each other, like. Uh -huh. And then the third time they burst into laughter. Wow. So I, I lift up that example. It's a very, you know, sort of colloquial example, but it's true in fact. That, that men are not the only ones who believe in and buy into these rigid stereotypic norms around masculinities that can leave many men and boys trapped in the so-called man box. And this is the rub because for black men and boys, we don't have uh, you know a lot of disaggregated data on the prevalence and impacts of many psychiatric conditions outside of schizophrenia. And we can talk about that in just a second, but we don't have a lot of detailed year-to-year -year data on the mental health and well-being of black men and boys. But we did learn because there was a report that was produced about a year and a half, maybe two years ago, called Ring the Alarm by the Congressional Black Caucus. I'm sure you probably yep. it came across your desk at some point. But it was about the, the sudden rise in suicides among black boys. And it was like the first time that people thought, huh, boys can be wounded? Well, of course they can. And of course our boys can, given all of the systematic dehumanization and slights against their humanity they experience every day. But we learned that boys as young as five years old were considering suicide when the rainbow wasn't enough. I mean, this is a problem, you know, for our communities that because of the silence imposed around mental health, um, Many people are suffering, and and our boys in particular uh, appear to be suffering in ways that are not just rooted in the in the culture of our communities that tells you the village, you know, that tells you like we strong people, we don't we don't commit suicide, you know, mm -hmm. we don't die, we multiply, all of that, and it's true, we are mighty, amazing, resilient, resourceful people, but at the same time, we hurt 
just like everyone else. We deserve respite for our emotional pain just like everyone else. And we do not deserve to have to suffer in silence because folks think we survived the middle passage. Listen. Well, well, hold on. Before we go in there, because this is going to get real good. Let's let's take a quick break, um, pay some bills. Uh, Y'all don't go nowhere. Keep it locked right here on FUBU Radio. And we'll be back with Dr. Wisdom Powell as we continue to talk about the importance or the awareness around mental health, especially uh, around Black men uh, of color. Don't go nowhere. What's going on, y'all? If you're just now tuning in, we are here inside the room with Dr. Wisdom Powell. And if you are just tuning in, uh, you missed a great first half of of our show talking um, about, first of all, Dr. Wisdom Powell's, I say your entire name, Wisdom, uh, just telling us her story and being able to frame um, her work and how she uh, sort of derived to where she is and her personal and professional commitment to providing safe spaces uh, and resources for organizations, individuals, in particular, Black uh, men, uh, both older and young men. Uh, But Dr. Powell, I kind of cut you off right before we went on a break, but if you could just bring us back there and and then I'd love to transition into just talking about resources, available resources, Actually, before we get to the resources, talk about the impacts of this pandemic on Black men um, in particular, or just men of color, because we have all types of folks listening uh, in. But I am explicitly and unapologetically concerned and interested um, about Black men and how we can support uh, Black men. So, Dr. Powell. Well, first of all, this is not a zero-sum proposition. And we're not in the oppression Olympics. It is okay to say that black men in particular are catching a lot of the brunt Mm -hmm. of what we're talking about. And it's okay to elevate them to a a priority status in our conversation, even about uh, men and boys of color. And what I was saying before we went to break was just around the myths that we all are told and, and and the tremendous impact of those myths um, on our capacity to to grant ourselves the kind of radical permission that is necessary uh, for many of us to seek help for mental health problems. I mean, we have for our, a long time in our communities talked a lot about the role of faith-based institutions, and that's important. But I, what I say to folks is that you can take it to the altar and to the therapist. Like there is no- right, I'm with you, or a pill. Or I mean, right? I mean, it, I mean, there's no conflict there, um, and 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 the divine uh, wants us all to be radically healed. That's right. So I I, I want to encourage people to you know not let those things feel like conflicts when they actually are not, um, and they can be complementary approaches. One can pray about their emotional and mental well-being and still seek the support of a professional to aid you in that faith walk. Oh my God, please, can you please say that again? Because I was in conversation with a fraternity brother of mine and we were just talking about mental health and, and he says, well, you know, a lot of black men just don't believe in it and it's okay. They don't have to come. And I'm like, what do you, what do you mean they don't have to come? Like that's, that's not good. And it really goes back to what you you referenced earlier. We're almost 
forced into these societal norms um, and, and that black men, you have to be strong. That's who you are. Cry in secret or in silent and come back and get to work. And that's so farthest, this farthest from the truth. And so what you just said is just so powerful in terms of go get the help, go get yeah. it. And, 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 and the reason for doing it is not just um, if, if, if you need a reason, and many times men do need a reason beyond themselves. Yeah. You know, the focus on self-care for men can feel incredibly selfish, right? Because- That's me. Especially for, for right. right. <laughs> Because that providing and protecting role, you're like, listen, I'll, I will take time off to take my wife to the doctor, but I'm not going to take time off for my own therapy appointment unless there's some dire reason. And we're trying to change those norms and really promote notions of self-care as radical uh, healing and also as an opportunity to show up and be the kind of man you want to be in your community, your family, your church or fraternity. Like we need you whole, bro. Like I, that, that's the next, that's, that's the title of my next book. Yeah. <laughs> oh, bro. Um, seriously. Um, and, and, and those, the, and the resources that are available now mean that many men don't have to actually go into a therapy office to get the services they need. We now have more telemedicine available, especially Medicaid. Medicaid is now reimbursing uh, many of the behavioral health services. That so they one can just request to their doctor. Absolutely. Okay. And also there are lots of apps out there. Now there are, you got to kind of sort through the ones that are like not so great. And I don't have that list right now, but I'm happy. Okay, we can put it on our website once you get it. There are a lot of apps out there that allow men to like literally log on and be talking to someone um, on the other side. And here's the thing, if you don't want to be seen, turn your camera off. I mean, there's well, here's the other thing. Do you have any black doctors or apps that, you know, are created by black folk? Uh, uh, I'm one of those guys that's like, all right, so Dr. Black. <laughs> like, um, you know, we choose the physicians that make us feel comfortable, the providers that make us feel comfortable. Right. And Certainly race, ethnicity is on my list of like considerations. Yep, yep. Um, I also, I realized though, that I also have um, a kind of bias towards Michigan cause I'm from, I'm part of the mafia, you know? So I'm like, are did you get trained in Michigan? <laughs> and so I realized that, that I have a couple of criteria in there, but certainly having someone that looks like me is important. Now I need to compile for you outside of this conversation, a list of like, uh, where folks can find a concentration of like uh, uh, reputable providers on a list because the problem is that we don't have a centralized list. But the American Association of Black Psychologists is a great resource for um, uh, folks, for black folk. And there are also a number of um, organizations for, uh, for our AAPI community, for our Hispanic and Latino communities. There, there, there are within those, uh, you know, groups, there are certain organizations that house that kind of information. And so we'll make sure that we get some of that for the website. But, but the thing, this is the, the, the bottom line. If you are in trouble, if you're in emotional distress, don't watch and wait. Because the, the, the period between watching and waiting and getting help, for most of us, will be fine. Like, you know, we might watch and wait and then we'll reach out. But for some folks who are standing at that cliff, that time between waiting and getting support and not can be really detrimental. And we, again, we need y'all around. So I'm encouraging brothers um, to, to 
to talk to someone you trust. And it doesn't have to necessarily be a psychologist like me or a psychiatrist or, or even a social worker. There are pastoral counselors that are available who are quite effective. Many churches, in fact, have mental health ministries. So I think that there are, there are options. And I just, whatever place or space that feels brave for you, um, go there. But don't suffer in silence. Don't let yourself be, um, you know, detrimentally impacted by something that we can help you solve. And in terms of COVID, you know, we know that it, during COVID-19, we saw an uptick in mental health conditions among U.S. adults. Mm -hmm. And while we don't have the data yet by race, ethnicity, in terms of mental health outcomes, we do know that pre-pandemic, Black, Indigenous, and Hispanic and Latino folk were already being significantly underserved by our mental health uh, systems. That's regardless of diagnosis and severity of, 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 of income, of, of impact. So we know that, in other words, those populations were already, already receiving less effective, lower quality, and limited access to mental health and behavioral health services. So if we're having upticks in mental health and substance use, you can bet, just like you said, when black, when white folk catch a cold, we catch pneumonia or the flu. We can only imagine that within our communities, folks are suffering because the catalyst for mental health conditions in those communities are rooted in systems of inequality. We know, for example, numerous studies draw associations between exposure to racism and depression both cross-sectional data and longitudinal data that prove, in fact, that it's not just, just that depressed people are seeing more racism. It's actually that racism is creating more depression in people. Oh, racism, my God. Racism oh, I wish you were in the room when we were drafting this legislation uh, declaring racism as our uh, a public health crisis. Right. Anyway, sorry, I keep cutting you off, but you, oh, dropping okay. these, you dropping all these jewels. No, I mean, I, this data is so important to share with the public because I don't, I think people think, oh, well, racism, you know, folks who may still be on the fence, the so, social injustice fence where they're not sure whether or not what we're talking about is real or if we're making more out of it. We're talking about race, racism is a virus. It mutates, takes on new hosts and arrives in a more virulent form. So we're not only dealing with coronavirus, we're dealing with racism and it's creating a powerful syndemic. And this syndemic has significant implications for populations of color who are already having their proverbial backs pushed against the wall by structures and systems that have not risen up to meet them at their highest intentions for healing. So we already know that there are disparities. I don't even need the data. Like I can, I can walk around my community. I can see the despair, and we know that unemployment is associated with more uh, mental health challenges, underemployment, because the stress of losing a job. And we know that Black, Indigenous, and people of color have been the have borne the brunt of unemployment of labor force attrition and all kinds of workforce dynamics that have pushed people out of their jobs. So if we know that, then we can already assume without the data that folks are catching emotional hell. And the question is, when are we gonna have mental health parity in our nation so that folks are not stigmatized for seeking help 
for mental health problems and that systems pay for the services. When I was a practicing therapist, I had 20 sessions to fix you, whatever that means. And insurance companies would push back if I said, well, I need a 21st or a 22nd session. I would, Wait a minute, you, you mean you haven't cured um, Jahim's you know, schizophrenia in those 20 sessions? I mean, it's ridiculous. So we have not really created even a system on parallel uh, with the issues and the crisis that we're facing. And don't start talking about our children, our babies. Mm -hmm. The child mental health system is completely broken. Completely, completely broken. The number of available psychiatric beds for children across our country. Why is that so low, Dr. It's because, of the, it's because of the community mental health movement that was halted. Um, and when we halted that movement, we did that under really with really good intention. So here's a lesson in racial justice 101, intention does not equal impact, because our intention was to um, get out of our system those harmful institutions where people were housed and thrown away and mistreated. Remember all those, um, the, 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 the remnants of the quote unquote insane asylums. Yep. So those, a lot of those places were really horrible, but here's when you throw the baby out with the bathwater. You think, well, we're gonna get rid of all of those and move to a different kind of model of mental health care provision, but taking those resources out of the community significantly limited our capacity to respond to community need. So we don't have enough beds. So I'm telling you now, as a, someone who's had a, a, a relative, a child in my family who had a psychiatric break during this COVID-19 crisis, who we had to actually call the police. Could you imagine? I'm thinking about Breonna Taylor and I got to call the police oh my to, God. to deal with my, you know, preteen, you know, a relative, a female relative. Do you imagine the heartbreak in that? And many, many parents are faced with that choice because our systems are not designed to meet us where we are. So we have a lot of structural work to do, even as we're changing attitudes and beliefs, providing resources to folks and telling them where they can go for help. We still don't have an adequate structural response to, the, to meet the need and the demand for mental health and behavioral health services. And it's going to impact us significantly. Yeah. So so one one more question for you where could an individual um a young black male or an adult uh black male can go to get information is there a website i know you mentioned that not all of it is sort of housed in one one place right. is, is there a website or should you direct them to your 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 website there at yukon health well, charities so there are this as uh brandon is pointing out like the information is fairly um uh dispersed so not concentrated in one place but there are a couple of go-to places that i go that i reference so samsa the substance abuse mental health services agency they actually have a whole office on behavioral health equity and they routinely publish perhaps the most up-to-date information that is disaggregated by race, ethnicity, gender, and those kinds of characteristics. And they also offer tip sheets and, um, you know, uh, ways, checklists for looking out for signs and symptoms. So I'll give you a couple here because I think depression is probably the most common um, mental health disorder, if not a couple like parallel with anxiety. But when people are depressed, they can sometimes have insomnia. So if you're not sleeping the way you used to, um, and it's really causing a significant disturbance in your capacity to function the next day, 
you probably want to ask yourself some questions there could be you know physical health issues happening but that's a clear you know thing to check off the other is if you find yourself getting more irritable not just crying a lot which is what we typically ask people about for depression but men don't cry a lot when they're depressed they sometimes get more irritable short fused um, that kind of thing. If you find also that you're losing interest in the things that you, you that used to bring you joy, you know that's a that's a clear sign. If you're starting to have more relationship conflicts, even minor, you might want to check in. So these are some things just to kind of give you a sense that maybe I need to check my head a bit. Like maybe there's something not calibrated. Um, and there are other more, you know, serious signs of other sorts of, of, of psychological distress, which you know you can also read about on the National uh, Association of Mental Health or NAMI's website, which I think is a really good central resource for, for all of us in terms of getting you know, uh, up-to-date information and also tips and resources. And I'll certainly supply some additional um, resources for you. Of course, the American Psychological Association is a fabulous uh, resource. Um, for up-to-date science and also up-to-date practice, policy, and advocacy movement in this space if you're interested in those kinds of topics as well. Thank you. Thank you so much. And again, if you're just uh, joining inside the room, we're here with Dr. Wisdom Powell. Uh, so y'all stay tuned. Keep it locked. Please don't go nowhere. We got one more segment um, and we'll wrap this up. Hey, what's up, on What's up, y'all? This is Brandon McGee inside the room. Uh, we're here with Dr. Wisdom Powell. And as always, I want to thank each and every one of you for tuning in and being a part of this journey where we gather people from all walks of life uh, to really educate our community. And uh, today we've been talking about mental health awareness. As you know, May is Mental Health Awareness Month. Uh, and we thought here at Inside the Room, Dr. Wisdom Powell could could really educate us, but really personalize uh, the conversation and help us to understand the importance of kind of being present. Uh, and she used the term of the word recalibrating and, and really making sure men, black men, hopefully, hopefully y'all, y'all hearing me, uh, that you all are checking in, especially as we continue to experience uh, this pandemic. Uh, so as we wrap up, uh, Dr. Powell, um, not only is she everything that we talked about earlier in terms of her bio, um, she's also among many other partners, uh, they're hosting uh, the state of health equity among boys and men of color. Uh, it's a virtual summit. Um, it's presented by the Yukon Health, Health Disparities Institute. Uh, they also have their title sponsor, Hartford Healthcare Behavioral Health Network. Um, Dr. Powell, can you just talk to us a little bit about this virtual summit and why? Why this summit, you know, for young men of color, uh, boys and men of color? Uh, and, and what are the takeaways? So first of all, I am just overjoyed to see this summit come to life. You know how it is to have something, a vision live in your head for a long time? and then to find the right team, partners, community collaborators to execute it. I am just overjoyed because this summit is a call to action. It's a call to radical healing action on behalf of the scores of boys and men of color 
who have tremendous untapped potential to contribute to our nation's economic vitality, innovation, and upward mobility. And yet that, that, that potential often gets thwarted by preventable health disparities and inequities. And so we can do something about this trajectory and also change the tide of the scores of families, children, and women who are connected to them. And so this two and a half day summit is not your usual academic summit. And that's the one thing I want folks to understand. We have coupled Ignite style, which are TED talk style conversations along with salon style workshops that provide skills based um, support and resources to help people move towards action. We're also incorporating within this two and a half day experience a virtual visualizing health equity among boys and men of color art gallery curated um, with, from artists across the nation who are using their art to disrupt single stories about boys and men of color. We also have amazing, amazing spoken word artists um, coming through to, to really help us see the lived experiences of these boys and men of color who are so vital to our democracy. And the takeaways from this is that we want to spring people into action, which is why on June 11th, right after this summit, we are hosting an ideas lab, which is an incubator. Yeah. Where we are trying to fund and seed high risk, high reward solutions. We have an intergenerational planning committee, shout out to our youth planning council, who have been at the table since day one, getting us elders in check and making sure- I was gonna say that's dope in and of itself oh, that yeah. you are not talking at our young men of color, but you're including them a part of the conversation and solution. That's right. So that, that's just amazing. Yeah, and that was our intentional design from planning council to speakers, every main stage um, conversation that happens has a youth per a part of that embedded in that we're not having conversations about youth without youth they are in the space and they are directing the course of action there were times when we were like we're not sure about this session they're like we want it we're like okay <laughs> So, so some of your speakers, obviously, Dr. Wisdom Powell, uh, but you also have the likes of Mr. Akeem Broder, um, who is, uh, is he the brother or cousin of Khalif? He's actually the brother of Khalif Browder, and he's now running the Khalif Browder Foundation. And Akeem is just a oh my God. Um, effusive, just dedicated servant after so much loss, after losing his brother, Khalif, and losing his mother, Vernita, um, it just, wow. you know, we, we made the call and he came and, and, and locked arms with us. And we're so blessed to have him. We also have the president and CEO of the American Psychological Association, Dr. Arthur Evans. We also have Dr. John Rich, former MacArthur Genius Award winner and author of Wrong Place, Wrong Time. We have David Melbranch, Dr. David Melbranch, that is the esteemed Dr. David Melbranch. <laughs> um, I mean, so many- And folks, these are all black men. I mean, I'm sitting here jumping in my seat. Like, it's these are black men. We have amazing, uh, you know, roster of black men. We also have men from the Hispanic and Latino community. We That's have what's up. folks around the table. We, this is going to be so, so, so powerful. You want to be in this space 
So how can people purchase tickets? You can purchase tickets on Eventbrite and I do not have the link. I should be able to, to quote it, but I do not have the link. No, it's all good. They can literally go to health.ucon, that's U-C-O-N-N dot E-D-U forward slash health disparities. And literally it's going to come up, but it's B-M-O-C hyphen summit that you can type in. Um, and that will bring you directly to the Health Disparities Institute website where all the information is there uh, wow. in regards to the state of health equity among boys and men of color. Virtual Absolutely. And if they yeah. cannot find it on that link, you can hit me on all my socials. My handle is at wisdomisms. That's wisdom with a Z. Um, D-O-M-I-S-M-S. -S. Um, so hit me on IG, Twitter. Uh, Facebook, and I will be sure to get you where you need to go to, to register for this summit. And I want folks to know that we do not want cost to be a barrier. We want those who can pay for their tickets, folks, pay for your tickets. Hey, y'all, stop asking for hookups. <laughs> pay for your tickets. <laughs> but if you cannot, seriously, we have also scholarship forms. All youth, 17 and younger, are free. Um, and, you know, if again, if there's a hardship, we want folks to, to let us know there's a place on the form on Eventbrite to do that. So you do that only with us. We don't share that information. You're treated just like every other participant. No one knows you're on scholarship. The point is we want you in the space. We also have special rates for community members as well. So um, there's, some, there's a rate for everyone and an opportunity for everyone to come. And we want women and girls also in this space. This isn't just a convening for men and boys because you all know that we are in the community with them. And, uh, and we, we need this information too. So again, that's June 8th through the 10th. It's a virtual uh, summit with an ideas lab on June 11th. Um, you can find the information, of course, on all of her social media handles. Um, but again, we want to encourage you to participate. I will be there. I'm bringing along some boys and men of color to participate. Uh, and I'm inviting you all. You don't have to be from Connecticut. You can be from Atlanta, Washington, D.C., anywhere throughout the country. Uh, please feel free to be a part of this movement. Dr. Powell, one one sort of last thought on this. What what do you wish to leave with some of the men uh, and, and young boys that might be listening to us on YouTube, Spotify, uh, or right here on FUBU Radio? What is that? First of all, I want to remind us all that um, your lives matter. And I know we've heard this a lot, but I think I want to speak directly to our men and boys in our communities. You are not dispensable because the world has yet to behold the wonder that is in you. And I am convinced that if we heal, grow and thrive, that there is nothing communities can't do, but we cannot do it without you. Well, thank you so much, uh, Dr. Powell. Um, I could probably listen to you for another hour or so, uh, but I know we don't have that much time on our segment and I'm just so delighted and honored uh, that you would spend the time with me here and others inside the room uh, to, to really provide awareness, share your story, uh, but also help us to understand the importance of our own mental health. So we love you, uh, and we're going to continue to lift up those arms and, and lift up the work that you're doing. Uh, and as always, y'all can follow me on Twitter at Rep 
B McGee on Instagram, underscore BLMJ underscore. Uh, and as always, I love you. And until next time, y'all be safe.